the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is is too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today it is a two-hander between myself and Will. How are you doing today, Will? I'm doing fantastic. Good. Fantastic as always. It's usually your default line I've noticed each time I introduce you in here. But positivity is always key. I'm glad to hear it. There's a lot of really, really positive things to talk about this week. Let's dive right into it, actually. Let's start with the positivity that I heard all over Twitter last night in regards to Denzel Washington's latest film, Fences, which screened for the first time last night. It was a good segue. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I just want to say, too, that so many people over the years have been wishing this for me. So strangers, you know, I go, I'm walking in the street, people say something to me. I go in a doctor's office, I go in a whatever. Elevators, people saying, I wish you should win, you should win. I go for an x ray, you should win one. Pretty much everybody's saying that Denzel and Viola have it. It's locked, it's over. Best actor, best supporting actress, done. What do you think? Those were sky-high raves. I think at this point, Viola Davis is an undeniable win, lock to win Best Supporting Actress, particularly because, from what I've heard, it's almost a leading role, which gives her a hand. I'm not going to call Denzel a complete lock, but it sounds like he blows people away, and I think he'll certainly be our front-runner in the category. I think what will be more interesting to see now is how far does the film go overall. Those were raves for everything about it. But it's not showy direction. Does Denzel also get in for director? I think picture is a given. Can it win adapted screenplay? You know, that's what I'm really curious to see. And we won't really know more until official reviews drop in early December when the embargo lifts. But I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. I'm just excited about the possibility of Denzel Washington winning his second Best Actor award and joining the illustrious three Oscar club, which is a very, very small group of people. We're talking, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, Jack Nicholson, uh, Catherine Hepburn. She's, she's got more, but you know, this is a very, very, very select group of people here. So for him to also become the first African American to be in that, you know, illustrious group, I, I think if anybody's going to do it, it should be him. The man is truly an icon of our time. I've said before, Denzel is one of the last remaining movie stars in that in an age where stars are beginning to matter less than concept, Denzel can almost always guarantee butts in the seat and get a minimum of a $70 million domestic gross for almost any project. So yeah, I'll be interested to see how this one does financially. You know, I've, I've been talking to some people who think it could be a massive Christmas hit and go near $100 million. I tend to think it's going to be on the lower end of financial prospects, but I think it's going to be raved and will be an important film regardless. 
I definitely agree with you on the importance of the film for sure. I think that it's very probable that should the film continue to have the raves that it seems like it is having right now, that this could pose as a unique challenger to La La Land when all is said and done. Speaking of which, another film that I had previously thought would be the real challenger to La La Land, and that is Silence, is starting to leave me a little uh, a little unsure now because of... I mean, listen, we're in November. We don't have a trailer. We don't have a poster. Nobody really seems to be talking about it other than when is the trailer and the poster going to actually be released. And now today we found out that Howard Shore is actually not even composing the music to it, which I felt like he had been attached to it since the first time I heard about it. So I wonder what the hell is going on with this film now. It really could be the opportunity that a film like Fences needs to swoop in and, like I said, pose as the real challenger to the front runner, which is La La Land. It's a risky strategy, no doubt. And it does kind of remind me of Selma in 2014, But it's interesting, even Selma, actually, as of this exact day, two years ago, had a trailer out. Whereas Silence, from what I've heard, the trailer's coming with Arrival. So, good... I hope to God it does. So, fortunately, we'll finally get a trailer. But if they're just now scoring the film, it means they just got picture lock. And it's probably not going to be ready for the early critics groups, like the National Board of Review... New York Film Critics Circle, and the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Which means, like Selma, it could miss out on some crucial early award season momentum. You think it'll, uh, it's got to be ready in time for Golden Globes at the very least, I would imagine. I suspect the goal is to get it ready in time to be screened for Los Angeles critics and the Golden Globes. That would be my guess. Whether or not it makes SAG is another thing entirely. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I mean, at the very least, I can see Scorsese getting in for Best Director regardless at the Golden Globes because they just really seem to love Marty, even if his film doesn't do uh, entirely well. So speaking of the Golden Globes, though, uh, we found out recently that Hugh Grant is going comedy musical lead at the Golden Globes instead of Best Supporting Actor. Uh, We saw that happen last year with Christian Bale, who also contended in the lead category, but was eventually put into supporting when the Oscars rolled around. So do you think this is the right move for Hugh Grant right now? I think it pretty much guarantees him a nomination at the Globes. I'm not sure overall how it does for his chances, because if he were able to say get into supporting and win supporting at the Globes that helps him generate crucial momentum. I'm not sure he'll win the lead actor category when he's competing against Ryan Gosling, star of the likely Best Picture frontrunner. But I think it guarantees him a Golden Globe nomination, and it didn't hurt Christian Bale last year. So I am more and more considering Hugh Grant a threat to win Best Supporting Actor overall if the studio plays its cards right in campaigning him. I don't know. I mean, this, they have ensured him a nomination from the Globes. So that is pretty much his first guarantee. We'll have to see where he goes the rest of the season. It's, it is fair. He's more of a lead than Meryl Streep is in the film, honestly. But I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I, I think that he stands a very good chance to win. And if he does win, I think that 
there'll be a lot of people that will then be like, oh, category fraud, you know, when he gets placed in supporting, most likely for the Oscar, because there's no way he's cracking the lead category, in my opinion, uh, despite the fact that I do believe that he is also the lead of the film. But, you know, regardless of such, I think he is our best supporting actor frontrunner right now. Now that Warren Beatty is being campaigned in lead, we still have no word on Liam Neeson. I think that the lack of screen time for Mahershala Ali hurts him a little bit in Moonlight. So, yeah, I think Hugh Grant stands a really good chance to start building up some momentum for himself for an eventual win here. The wild card is Fences in that category. There's several big supporting performances. Uh, I don't remember which actor I saw get some standout notices, but whoever plays Washington's mentally disabled brother in the film apparently is very good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the film is all around loved, that's an area it could take home yet another win, make it really historic and have three wins for African-American actors in one film, which would be interesting. Sure. So I think that's also worth considering. But, yeah, I, I'm feeling you on Hugh Grant should that not pan out. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting to say the least. And, you know, his co-star in the film, Meryl Streep, we found out this week, is also set to receive the Cecil B. DeMille Award now at the Golden Globes as well. So she could be potential winner in the comedy musical actress category and also be receiving the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Now, I say this because, truthfully, we don't know what's going to happen, but I think we can, we can all assume that Emma Stone is most likely going to take comedy musical actress in a walk. But regardless of such, it's really cool to see Meryl being uh, awarded no matter how many times she does get an award for something, whether it be career achievement or an individual award for acting. You can't deny Meryl. She's just, she's she's on another level. She's Meryl. I'm shocked it didn't happen sooner, to be honest. Oh, yeah, you know, that's very true, too. You know, you think of the people that had have gotten in the last couple of years, and it only seems natural that Meryl would eventually receive it. So, definitely not totally surprised. Um, we had a lot of uh, small, not really, you know, that consequential, uh, film awards uh, start getting announced as far as nominations go. Uh, Hollywood Film Awards are taking place right now as we speak. Those uh, winners were already posted online. Some interesting choices, some very odd choices. For example, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, film uh, is currently the documentary winner there. Uh, you've got Tom Hanks uh, winning Best Actor for Sully, Zootopia for Animated Feature. But then you get something very weird like Mel Gibson winning Best Director for Hacksaw Ridge, which I, I don't care how good people say the film is. That's something that's not going to pan out. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I like the film. So the bottom line is the Hollywood Film Awards, they I mean, they, they trumpet themselves as the start of award season. And they're fun, but I don't ever consider them a major barometer of awards chances. We have to keep in mind that these are the same awards who gave Best Picture to Star Trek Into Darkness, Best Director to Tom Hooper for The Danish Girl, Best Actor to Will Smith for Concussion. So I wouldn't really say they're uh, strong predictors of things to come. But it's fun to see some otherwise potentially forgotten films get their moment in their sun. And the fact that um, Gold is getting an ensemble prize makes me more curious about that film. Yeah, because I, from what I understand, isn't that just a Matthew McConaughey show and nothing else? I mean, who else is really in this movie? 
Apparently, it's got a good cast. I know Stacy Keach is in it. He's always wonderful. But, I mean, we'll see. I mean, Tapley has that film showing up in some places in his predictions, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm currently predicting Matthew McConaughey for best actor in my fifth slot right now until I hear otherwise, so we'll see. Uh, International Documentary Association announced their nominees. Uh, European Film Awards announced their nominees, and so did the British Independent Films uh, Fil- Film Association also announced their nominees as well. So a couple of names starting to come out uh, for sure. You got I, Daniel Blake, uh, Tony Erdman gets mentioned here and there, 13th, OJ, Made in America. Uh, definitely a lot of films starting to be talked about, and as we get closer and closer in these critics' groups, and other bodies start announcing these awards and their nominations, a general consensus does start to form over time. And then we can finally start to figure out what we, well, to our best guesstimate, what we think the industry is going to go for come Oscar time. Yeah. I mean, that's, and then we have the Independent Spirit Awards coming in about a week and a half. And once that starts, we truly have Oscar season going. Gotham's and the Annie's are immediately after that. So it's starting up. People get hype. Oh yeah. I'm very, very hype. I'm, I'm hype right now, but until I see La La Land winning everything, my hype may truly be diminished at that point. I, I don't like a steamroller year. Even if it's a film that I absolutely adore, I don't like it when it happens. I tend to... I can't help it. I do tend... I know I should only care about what is objectively the best film winning, but I do tend to kind of turn against whatever the big front runner is if it is a year like 2011 with The Artist, uh, where one film burns through everything, because at the end of the day, I do the fun part of award season is the ups and downs, the shocking twists, the moments where Ben Affleck misses a director nomination, you know, things like that. As soon as a consensus forms, it tends to be less interesting. And 2011 is my least favorite Oscar season of the decade because of the fact that pretty much all the winners were locked in aside from Meryl Streep from the start. So, yeah, we will uh, we will see on that. Yep, definitely will, for sure. I, I agree with you on that 2011 comment, by the way. I really, really despise that year so much. Uh, what else we got going on here? Oh, new producers for the show, uh, the Oscar show, that is. Uh, DeLuca and Todd are... Promising everybody a shorter show this year. I'm not, I do not think this is good, but they seem to think that that's what the people want. I, I know, you know. I, I'm sure you agree with me on this. Am I right? Well, so the the problem is, I think they saw the rather disastrous ratings last year and assumed it was somehow because the show was too long. No, but the bottom line is, I think the reason the ratings were poor is that people didn't care about most of the films in contention last year. Which is so weird when you consider The Revenant was a box office hit, The Martian was a hit, Mad Max was a hit, Star Wars. I mean, that is a little weird. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like people tuned in to see Leo DiCaprio, but you didn't necessarily have anything that was a pop culture phenomena that you had a couple years before with Gravity that you've had in, I mean... I mean, 2012 is a year where almost every Best Picture nominee was a $100 million grocer in the U.S. Yeah. And had lots of fans. You know, I just – 2015 didn't seem like a year like that. 
And I'm worried that this year will be another year like that. And then they're going to cut the show down. My deepest fear is that they're going to stop airing the tech categories on TV and have those off screen like they do at the Critics' Choice Awards. Oh, man. It's so, so bad. I hate that so much. Poor, poor John Williams wins score for Lincoln, and he's actually physically present at the award ceremony. They don't even give him the damn award on television. How do you do that? Right, and instead of cutting the the banter between hosts or random montages, that I'm I'm terrified they'll cut something like that. So, in the event that anyone who is involved in planning the show happens to be listening to our podcast. I extend a plea to you. If you're going to shorten the show, don't do it that way. Yep. And last but not least, Sony is currently pulling Billy Lynn's long halftime walk from all of their four-year consideration websites entirely. Uh, This is not surprising. The film is set to open this weekend in New York and in L.A., and it is, well, let's put it this way. It does not have the Rotten Tomato score that Arrival has. That's for sure. When Sausage Party becomes the studio's biggest Oscar hope, you know something's wrong. That's all I have to say. They even kept Angry Birds on their four-year consideration website, but they pulled Billy Lynn. Which means that basically we can give up hope of even seeing uh, it contend for supporting actress or even some text like cinematography and the two sounds, it might show up. But if they're not even bothering to campaign it with relatively poor reviews, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm, I've already taken it out of cinematography. I'm about to take it out of sound as well because those categories are now starting to finally get stacked a bit. So, I mean, let's uh, take a look at something here really quickly. Let's take a look at our own predictions right now. Um, I want to know, actually, and compare this here, what it is that you've currently got in the sound categories because Hacksaw Ridge came out this weekend, and I think that that's a contender right now in the sound categories. Let, let's uh, let's take a look at sound editing first. So, Will, you got your sound editing picks? Yeah, I um, I am traditionally very good at predicting the sound categories, but until we get into the season, I've seen more of the films and we start getting precursors, I'm still kind of shooting in the dark. But I think Arrival will win sound editing. As I understand it, it is a sound showcase. It is a potential Best Picture nominee. Uh, The acclaimed sci-fi films of the last few years have done very well in that category. It's the type of film that wins that category. They've invented entire alien language. Um, I still have Billy Lynn getting a sound editing nomination, but I may remove that. Star Wars Rogue One, unless it's awful, will likely get in here. There's a long history of Star Wars films showing up here. Hacksaw Ridge, war films always thrive in sound editing. I can't imagine it missing out there. And I have Deepwater Horizon in there right now. Um, It does seem to have kind of gotten forgotten, maybe because it didn't perform as well financially as they hoped, but it would be a damn shame if it didn't show up in sound editing at least, because that is just stunning sound work. I have just on the outside, Allied, if it turns out to be good, it's yet another war film that could contend. And uh, something like The Jungle Book could also show it in, show up as well. Yeah. And then Patriot's Day, because Peter Berg films can 
show up here as we saw with Lone Survivor. And I've heard the sound design is solid on that as well. And Deepwater Horizon, too. You can't, yeah. yeah, it's definitely in the mix. Um, I've actually got a film in here that you did not mention. I've got Live by Night. It could definitely happen. And I say this mostly based on, I know it's not finished work, but just even when I watch the trailer and I'm hearing the gunshots and, you know, some of the explosions and things like that, I'm like saying to myself, man, this just sounds like it's got some punch to it, you know? And, you know, you got the car chase scene in the trailer as well. I don't know. It just seems like that's a film that is going to do well enough, I think, to land somewhere. And why not throw it into sound, you know? And then I guess I'm also forgetting uh, Silence. If it ends up being a big player with a lot of nominations, there is a precedent for films like that getting in, too. There's an opportunity for some interesting sounds, you know, with... uh, 19th century weapons, roaring waterfalls, etc., etc. I think that could show up in both sound categories if the film is well-received. Hey, listen, if Birdman can get in into both sound categories, I think that a Best Picture frontrunner could definitely get into a sound category, regardless of whether you think it's a sound-oriented film or not. So, and that's not a knock on Birdman. I just wasn't expecting it that year. It was all, you know, I, those those two nominations took me totally by surprise that year. So, and like I said, you may feel differently because you're very, very good at predicting these sound categories. So, hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Alrighty, moving on to more basic film news for the week, moving away from some more of the awards talk. Uh, man, this this one, this has got a great reaction from people. Johnny Depp has been cast in the Fantastic Beast sequel. The current film hasn't even come out yet, people. We're already talking about the sequel. Jesus. I have very little to contribute to that. I, Other than to say I, I don't love the idea, but in theory, he is still a big box office draw. In theory. Yeah. I, I don't love the idea, particularly because one thing I've liked about the Harry Potter franchise is that it kept its British characters actually British and I don't recall Gellert Grindenwald, who'd be playing being American, or be, so I assume that'd be Depp de- putting on a hammy British accent, but it's beside the point. Well, what about this uh, idea here? What do you think of uh, Fetty Alvarez, uh, director of uh, Don't Breathe, the Evil Dead remake, uh, chosen to potentially direct the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo sequel? First off, I think it's amusing that they're skipping the other two books actually written by Stieg Larsson and opting instead to adapt the fourth book, which wasn't written by him and wasn't nearly as well-received. He is a competent technical director. He did a good job with Atmosphere and Don't Breathe. I, I, I'm i not going to lie, it's, it's a step down from Fincher, but if it's well-received, 
I will go see it. I really liked the first film, and I have not read the fourth book in that series, but I enjoyed the first three. So I'm glad that the first film performed well enough to justify a sequel. I guess I'll say that, because I did like the Fincher's film a lot. And keeping it with the dark theme here for a second, uh, everybody's uh, most lovable film director, Lars von Trier, uh, is currently developing his newest uh, The House That Jack Built, set on the uh, infamous Jack the Ripper. And apparently, Matt Dillon has landed the lead role in this. So, we can look at this two ways. Either we're happy that Matt Dillon is casting us because we genuinely like him and it's a good casting call. Or it's because nobody wants to work with Lars von Trier anymore, uh, afraid that he's going to abuse them on set. <laughs> it's like the guy has put some of these actors and actresses through some of the craziest shit I've ever seen in, in films before with like Antichrist and... Uh, yeah, poor Willem Dafoe. Oh, Oh, every time. I cringe every time. Nymphomaniac is another one. I mean, just like, but God damn, can that guy make an artful film? Let me tell you. I still think Matt Dillon was, you can say what you want about Crash, but he was a ray of sunshine in that film. Not his character, but his performance. Sure. And I'm glad to see him get a comeback. You know, we, we also kind of judged Lars von Trier when he cast Kirsten Dunst in Melancholia. And then she ended up generating a wonderful acclaimed performance. So I choose to look at this optimistically. Good. Good. And speaking of optimistic, uh, Michael Giacchino has been chosen to score Spider-Man Homecoming for Marvel Studios. Is there anything that Michael Giacchino can't do? Seriously. Star Trek, Star Wars, the Pixar movies, Spider-Man now? This, this guy is like... Man, Disney must love him. Seriously, they must truly, truly love the guy. My only fear is that he's going to end up in what I call the Hans Zimmer trap, which is where he ends up scoring pretty much every blockbuster. And when you do that many, the the sounds kind of start to blend together. And I noticed Hans Zimmer said he's stepping back from superhero films because he wants to work on scoring more interesting projects. Um, And I, I tend to like Zimmer's scores best when he steps back from the Batman versus Superman type things and focuses on Interstellar, for example. Yes. Or, you know, smaller projects like that. So I don't want Giacchino to lose himself in this process of becoming Disney's golden boy. Well, in a way, we kind of already touched upon that in our Doctor Strange review where we felt like he kind of was repeating the same theme from Star Trek in his Doctor Strange score. You know, and Hans Zimmer has definitely done that sort of thing in his scores as well. I like, I swear to God, the score in 12 Years a Slave sounds eerily familiar to the Thin Red Line. I I know I'm not making this up when I say this. Uh, And also, it resembles the same melody as uh, Inception, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, you're definitely on the money with what you're saying there in terms of directors sometimes uh, taking on very similar projects and as a result, creating very similar scores for them as a result. Well, I will say this. Let's view the Michael Giacchino thing as a positive. As a negative, (sighs) let's head over to DC Comics right now. The Flash lost another director again. It's unbelievable what's going on over there at DC. I, I, I I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know how these guys can't seem to just have a production that goes smooth. 
And then, you know what's going to happen? The film is going to come out, and it's probably not going to be great. I'm sorry, but I, my expectations are just super low at this point now for everything. That that Wonder Woman that Wonder Woman trailer came out, and that was amazing. But even when it was over, I said to myself, nope, nope. I, I just, something about it's not going to be right. Something about it's not going to be right. Because that's what Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman has done to me this year when it comes to DC at this point. I expect the worst now from them. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree. I expect great trailers, but the bottom line is after saying that, quote-unquote, they are the director's version of, you know, they're the director-friendly superhero studio, they keep meddling with their films. And Wonder Woman, I really want to be good, and those were dope trailers, but it also lost its first director. Um, And The Flash, I mean... this is the I, the first time I kind of understood Seth Graham Smith had never directed before. Um, they maybe wanted to play it safer with someone who had more behind-the-camera experience after they had run into some trouble with their two projects this year. But Rick Famuyiwa Rick did fantastic work with Dope last year. That was a very underrated film. Yeah. And um, had a good balance of comedy and drama, and I think he would have had a good tone for The Flash. I can't imagine why... They ran into creative difficulties, but at this point, they have to move the project back because Ezra Miller's schedule isn't going to work. It's going to throw off their entire DC lineup, and it, it has me worried. Yeah. As does um, Brett Easton Ellis mentioned he had had a conversation with Warner Brothers execs where they mentioned problems with Aflac's The Batman script. Oh, jeez. Now, Brett Easton Ellis, you know, isn't necessarily he could be just trying to generate something for publicity i take this with a grain of salt as should we all but he did say he had heard them the exact say that there were problems with the batman script and that the studio didn't care because 70 percent of its audiences weren't even going to be viewing the film in english so they were just going to kind of run with it as is as i said take that with a grain of salt but it is a bit foreboding i need something positive right now um Gary Oldman's makeup looks really good. There we go. In the darkest hour. There we go. I would say that's positive. That 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 is a really really awesome image that I have in my mind that makes me just go yes, yes. I I, I want Gary Oldman to get another Oscar nomination so badly. <laughs> get it. I want Gary Oldman to win. There you go. Get and him to win the, exactly. <laughs> by the look of that photo, I mean it's it is a spot on recreation. We'll have to see how it looks in motion. But it looks like we have a best makeup contender for next year as well. Of course, projects tend to happen at the same times. The Prestige and The Illusionist, Armageddon and Deep Impact. And once again, next year we have two Winston Churchill films. Brian Cox has a film just called Churchill coming next year. Probably going to be released around the same time. They're both dealing with Churchill and World War II. So it'll be interesting seeing... Who ends up getting the more Oscar love? But I'm very excited for both projects, and I would love to see Oldman win. I know Oldman's script is apparently full of big speech and monologue moments and is made, written to be, from people who've read the script, as Oscar Beatty as possible, but it's also a good script, you know? Like the, uh, the Imitation Game, a very Academy of Friendly and Actor Friendly project that also happens to be extremely well written. So I'm very excited. And Joe Wright sure needs a good film again after Pan. Oh, God. 
you just reminded me of the horror that was panned. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, and speaking of uh, directing a film, uh, you remember Melanie Laurent? I do. I'm a big fan. Glorious Bastards, Beginners. Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, she is set to direct two of my favorite uh, actors working today, Ben Foster and Elle Fanning in Galveston. Am I saying that right? Galveston? I don't know the pronunciation, but it is uh, Nick Pizzolatto who wrote True Detective and then The Magnificent Seven this year uh, wrote a novel a few years ago. It's kind of a film noir. And yeah, I think he's adapting his own work for this. So hopefully it's a meaty role for Ben Foster, who I would love after seeing him wasted and things like Inferno. He's such a good actor. I'm very excited to see him get a lead role. And Elle Fanning is wonderful. So I'm very excited. Yeah. All righty. We got some questions from some fans again. Uh, Film Guy 619 asks, which actress would you like to see have their own reconnaissance or career revival? So I guess what they're saying is that, well, McConaughey had this reconnaissance a couple years ago. Um, they want to know what would be the female equivalent that you would like to see. Great question. A little tough to figure out here because there's a lot of great actresses in Hollywood. Let me get that right off the bat. But there's one actress who I've, thought showed a lot of promise was good in a couple of roles seemed like she was on the verge of really really breaking out and being a really big thing and since then it's kind of made a little bit of a mockery of herself her career has kind of dwindled since then and we haven't really seen her in a very very serious role or anything to really remind us of the talent that she does possess and that would be Cameron Diaz yeah I really hope that the counselor would be that role for her. Yes. And a lot of us had her predicted for a while to get get in for Best Supporting Actress that year, but it didn't quite pan out. I, I would be very happy to see her get a good dramatic role and really nail it. Didn't she win a major prize for, the, uh, for There's Something About Mary years ago? Didn't she win the National Board of Review or something for that? Oh, yes, she did. I am very, very sure that she won... Um it's definitely one of the larger critics' awards. Uh, Which is so inspired. I wish we had things more like that, uh, wins like that more often. I, I would say both Holly Berry and Renee Zellweger could be good choices for people who are undeniably talented and Oscar-winning actresses who have been saddled with less than inspiring roles for the last 10 years or so. Sure. Definitely. Um Diaz won the New York Film Critics Award for Best Actress that year. For There's Something About Mary. So inspired. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, very good question over there. I really, really appreciated that one because, you know what? We do hear a lot about, like, these male performers. Let's get the, let's get the ladies uh, a comeback, shall we? It's always nice to hear something like that. Uh, now, in tying in with the same theme, in a way, K. Bailey Java 2 asks... Which legendary actor or actress would you like to see get their due at the Oscars with their first nomination, just like Charlotte Rampling did last year for 45 years? Well, I think the obvious choice is Isabelle Huppert, which has the big conversation going on right now, I would say. 
Yeah. Do Do you think it's really going to happen? No, I don't. Me neither. I would love. For I would it like happen. it to. I don't see it panning out. I mean, I haven't seen the film yet, and I, I'm I'm on the verge of doing so. I'll probably see it this week. I hear that she is just fantastic in it, and she's. There's no other way to say this. She is probably one of the best living actresses in the world. Undeniably so. And it is astonishing that she's never received an Oscar nomination. I just think that Verhoeven's film is not exactly going to be the Academy's cup of tea. But I'm very glad that she's in the conversation again. And hopefully it can begin a narrative that could lead to her winning an Oscar down the line. Or at least getting a nomination. And I have to say, as far as somebody I want to see get their first Oscar nomination and in a way receive their due, so to speak, I would kill to see John Goodman get that first nomination. Oh, good Lord. No, he truly needs one. And he has a chance again with Patriot's Day. You know, we still don't know that much about the film, but I would love to see him take the goodwill he has from 10 Cloverfield Lane and turn that into an Oscar nomination for Patriot's Day. It'll happen. Him Buscemi will happen one day. Oh, I hope so. Buscemi should have already happened twice. So, And then J.D. Durant from In Session Film asks, which composer who has not yet won an award for Best Original Score would you like to see win? I think this is a pretty obvious answer. Although Thomas Newman, well, you know, it's funny. I was going to say Newman, but then I started to think about it and I would, I, there's one other composer I would like to see win it more than him. Actually, I would really, really, really love to see Danny Elfman get up on the stage. Yeah, I, I, uh, I could feel that. I think and I'll throw in for number three, James Newton Howard as well. Oh yes. Um, I think Elfman, sometimes I forget how good a lot of his early stuff was because I know, at least until recently, he had fallen into, I felt like, kind of growing repetitive in his style in a lot of Tim Burton films. But then I saw things like the end of the tour last year where I realized how versatile he can still be. And he can compose lyrical songs like The Little Things and Wanted. Yeah, I, uh, and I guess some of his earlier work is astonishing. His early Tim Burton stuff, his big fish score brings tears to my eyes. Yeah, I think he would be well-deserving. I think Thomas Newman deserves it even more, if for nothing else, due to sheer number of nominations. What is it, 14 nominations without a win now? Something ridiculous like that. I mean, the, my problem with Thomas Newman now is uh, kind of a similar thing that you were saying before about Elfman in that there, there, he hasn't really had a score that has really, really impressed me in a very long time now. I think the last score of his that I genuinely loved was, oh my God, maybe Wally? Yeah, Wally was stunning. I, I do feel that. I mean, some of his stuff has been a little bit repetitive in recent years, but they're always good. Saving Mr. Banks, even though it didn't really distinguish itself from his other work, was still very pretty. But I mean, on like Elfman, on Legacy Alone, I mean, the man who brought us the American Beauty theme, the Shawshank Redemption theme, the Road Perdition and Finding Nemo scores really deserves an Oscar just honestly, for his career, if nothing else. 
Rhodes Perdition is one of my favorite scores of all time. He has an Oscar for that Done in my it. book. So yeah, in American Beauty, he should have won for. It, you know, it it just cleaned house, and somehow he composed the track that massage therapists everywhere use as their go-to, and yoga studios use as their go-to soothing background music. Any other name is one of the best film tracks ever composed. So, yes, I my vote ultimately goes to Thomas Newman, despite your very compelling argument for Danny Elfman. All right, that's very fair. Thank you very much, JD, and everybody else that sent in questions to us. You can always submit other questions over to the Next Best Picture podcast. We would sure love to have them, that's for sure. Uh, moving on from there, we got a couple film trailers now. Uh, first one up here is a new science fiction film from Daniel Espinosa, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, and Ryan Reynolds, and this one is called Life. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. I see it. The mission's primary goal has been achieved. We're looking at a large single cell, biological. I'd hate to jump the gun, but I think it's time. We're looking at the first proof of life beyond Earth. You're finally a daddy. It's gonna be a big custody battle over this one. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. You! As we set sail, we ask God's blessing hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. This nation will continue to be a pioneer in the new frontier of space. So, okay, all right, a little bit of Alien mixed in here. This is uh, set to release in May 24th, so it looks like it's going for that summer you know uh release date uh well it's not even really like summer per it's se memorial day yeah oh it is yeah it is yeah that's it's a good point i mean i don't know like jake Hall, i'll see anything that that guy stars in J- jake is like one of those actors i don't care what the project is i'm there i think when i heard on paper ryan reynolds and jake Hall starring in a sci-fi horror from the writers of Zombieland and Deadpool, I was expecting a little bit, something a little bit more unique. That being said, although I feel like that trailer is a bit spoiler heavy, it did get my attention. I'm a bit of a sucker for any sort of creature horror, particularly things like The Thing, where some, which this clearly is borrowing from a little bit, yeah. where someone gets infected and you can't tell who's who. I'm at least intrigued. I want to know more about what this creature is and what it does. And it looks 
at least aesthetically very pleasing. So I doubt it's going to be much more than a fun popcorn film, but if it can be a scary good time with some great visuals, I would be happy to see it. Regardless of which, this is not getting Jake Gyllenhaal that Oscar nomination that we're all clamoring for him to get again. That's uh, maybe not for sure, but based upon this trailer, I'm not getting No, but next year he has Boston Strong anyway, which is a very Beatty project, so... I hope so. I hope so. I really he's he's now on my list at, now that Leo's gotten his award. I really want Joan Hall to get an Oscar at this point. I mean, he's playing a man who loses both legs and I think somehow finds a way to run again in the Boston bombings. That's that's a pretty baity role. And I, Jesus. I, yeah. I'll have to fact check that, but if I remember correctly, that's what he has next on his agenda. So that sounds, and I know somebody who read the script, that does sound like a tailor-made role for Gyllenhaal to win an Oscar. All right. After directing 500 Days of Summer, director Mark Webb went on to do blockbuster uh, The Amazing Spider-Man and its sequel, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. He is now going back to more small-scale project. This one is called Gifted and is starring Chris Evans. Please don't make me go. You can keep homeschooling me. Tell you everything I know. No more argument, okay? We've discussed this ad nauseum. What's ad nauseum? You don't know? Wow, looks like someone needs school. Good morning, Miss Stevenson. Who can tell me what three plus three is? Everyone knows it's six. Barry, can you stand up, please? Can you tell me what 57 multiplied by 135 is? Okay. Who can? 7,695. The square root is 87.7, and change. Now what does ad nauseum mean? I listen to the wind, to the wind of my soul. I think your niece may be gifted. I am good friends with the headmaster of the Oaks Academy for Gifted Education. No, I promised my sister I'd give Mary a normal life. I think she's gotta be here. I've sat upon the setting sun. Who's that lady in front of our door? That would be your grandmother. Holy It's a MacBook, darling. What are you doing here? You are denying the girl her potential. How many seven-year-olds are doing advanced calculus? You forgot the negative sign on the exponent. Mary, why don't you say anything? Frank says I'm not supposed to correct older people. Nobody likes a smart ass. We petition the court to grant my client full custody of the child. No! You're going to take that girl, you're going to loan her out to some think tank where she can talk non-trivial zeros with a bunch of old Russian guys for the rest of her life. And you'd bury her under a rock. Evelyn, stop. I'm raising her how I believe Diane would have wanted. Do you need a reason we should commit treason? If anybody takes that baby away, I'll smother you in your sleep. Bring into this My sister wanted Mary to be a kid. She wanted her to have friends and to be happy. Tell us, do you have health insurance? No. Did you spend the night in jail? Objection! And leave the valleys What's your greatest fear? That I'll ruin Mary's life. Mary! 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 Uh Uh-uh! She's bossy. I've heard that. Who's a good person? You wanted me before I was smart. Well, that was very generic. Yeah, but it looks sweet, right? Yeah. You know, here, here's what I have to say. I adore 500 Days of Summer. It's, uh... Agreed. It was one of my favorite films of the previous decade. 
And I am just happy to see director Mark Webb out of the Spider-Man franchise and making independent projects again. This does kind of look a little movie of the weekish, but Chris Evans looks good. Mark Webb has a steady hand. I if if it gets good reviews, I'll happily check it out, and I, I wish it the best. I'd like seeing Chris Evans just take a role that is not Captain America is <laughs> every now and then, and I obviously my go to for something like that is uh, Snowpiercer, where. He showed a lot of range in that film that I don't really sometimes get from his Captain America performances in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But here I got to see it a little bit more again, even though I also think he looks like he's, I don't want to say miscast, uh, but I think there's more to this story and more to this role uh then the trailer and the trailer like you know obviously lets on to that a little bit more but there just seems like there's uh something more there i i guess you could say this this could be a one of those films that's like a surprise oh like that was pretty good you know that wasn't terrible kind of a film you know i don't think it's gonna be a disaster yeah no i, I think it'll be uh a man who knew infinity an early spring release maybe that ends up getting decent reviews and then just kind of forgotten by Oscar season. But yeah, uh, Chris, I mean, in Chris Evans, it makes me sad. I think he was talking about kind of wrapping things up in the Marvel franchise uh, a few years ago, and then his directorial effort performed badly, and he kind of got cold feet and ran back to Marvel to sign on for a bunch more Captain America films. And it's a shame, because he is and always has been a very talented actor. Yeah. You know, I've enjoyed him in any role, really, he's taken outside of the marvel world so i hope this is the start of i assume eventually they will write him out of captain america and let bucky barnes take over and i look forward to the day when he could do more projects like this even if this one doesn't look like something that's going to blow me away yeah yeah i hear you on that well speaking of being blown away though it's time for our final trailer, and it is a film sequel that I have not necessarily been waiting for in the sense that I didn't think it would ever happen, but here it is. Danny Boyle's got the original cast back together with John Hodge writing the script for Train Spotting 2. Hello, Mark. So, what have you been up to for 20 years? Choose life. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and hope that someone, somewhere, cares. Missed you, mate. I missed you too, Spud. Choose looking up old flames, wishing you'd done it all differently. Do you still take heroin? No. And choose watching history repeat itself. Hello, Franco. Simon. I'm old. Choose your future. Call the police. What shall I say? Just tell them we're dead. Choose reality TV, slut shaming, revenge porn. Yeah. Choose a zero hour contract, a two hour journey to work, and choose the same for your kids, only worse. And smother the pain with an unknown dose of an unknown drug made in somebody's kitchen. And then take a deep breath. addict so be addicted just be addicted to something else choose the ones you love choose your future 
Choose life. Yes, 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 yes. Just, when does this come out, Will? I need to know. I don't know. I think next fall, but I am so hyped. I, I've always been a big fan of Danny Boyle's direction, and it looks dope. You know, the, the aesthetics do. It looks like another bizarre plot. I'm glad it looks like he's not using heroin, at least. I thought if they had just immediately had him fall back into heroin, it would undo the ending of the first film. But I'm so hyped. Oh, yes, absolutely. Anthony Dom Mantle, he's got here doing the cinematography for the Oh, it's film. coming out in March. It's really soon, actually. Oh, that's even better. That's phenomenal news. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I don't c- expect this one to contend for any major awards, but I think it's going to be a blast. Let me tell you, if it's going to be released in March, so I've got two theories behind this, because... Even the studio doesn't view it as uh, they obviously don't view it as a commercial play for something to play during the summer. Um, as even like counter programming, I guess they feel that they can really maximize, uh, you know, their um, their budget out of this uh, by releasing it in the springtime when there's very little competition. They know that because this film's been out for a long time, that fans of the film are going to come out uh, to definitely see this, especially if it gets any kind of uh, you know, not saying heavy, but a just good promotional material. I mean, just the idea of reuniting the cast after all these years is alone a, a great reason to go to see this film. But then I also wonder to myself, why does it not have the awards-friendly release date a little bit more later in the year? I mean, granted, we saw what the Grand Budapest could do two, uh, two years ago and being released early in the year and making it all the way to the end. But that still leaves me a little weary on the film overall here. I mean, while visually it looks amazing, it's so great hearing Ewan McGregor say those lines of dialogue. It was one of those nostalgic moments that made me feel so freaking good when I watched the trailer. I'm praying, praying that this is not one of Danny Boyle's misfires. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. Danny Boyle is overall one of my favorite modern directors. Yes. But he is also very inconsistent. When he's on, he's really on because he has a great energetic style. But I would say that, I mean, there there is a third of his recent films or just a third of his films that don't quite hit the mark. I don't quite know what I saw with Trance a few years ago, as pretty a film as that was to look at. It was a bit of a mess. Yeah. Uh, the beach is certainly divisive. Uh, I love sunshine, but it does kind of fall apart in the third act. And but then, like I, you know, Slumdog Millionaire gets a lot of hate, but I adore that film. 127 hours. Nobody could have made that work the way Danny Boyle did. 28 Days Later is a masterpiece. And I'm telling you right now, years from now, years, we're all gonna look back. We're all gonna say to ourselves, man. We really fucked up with Steve Jobs, didn't we? That movie is fucking great. Yeah. I uh, well I, I I wouldn't say I loved it, but I was definitely a fan of it. It uh I would have liked to see it show up a little bit more last awards season, and it's a shame it didn't make more money. I think on some level I liked it more as a concept than in its execution, but it was a solid film, and it again showed what a competent director Danny Boyle is. So 
Yeah, that's I I had actually completely forgotten that was his. Yeah. Jeez, that alone right there. It came out last year, Will. <laughs> I know it completely escaped my memory. Oh my gosh. Well, are you guys excited about these trailers? Uh, drop us a comment. Let us know. We would love to hear for sure what your thoughts are on these. Will, before we go, do you have anything else that you want to add? I think that's pretty much it. I'm so excited for award season to be revving up. We have tons of films coming out in the next couple weeks. Basically, a third of all the awards contenders will be dropping in the next two weeks. That's a scary thought right now. Oh, yeah. The amount of times I got to get to the cinema. (laughs) Yeah, get to the theater, people. It's award season and keep following us all through the winter. There's going to be a lot more where this came from. Absolutely. We have some very, very exciting reviews, some interesting interviews, more articles to come on nextbestpicture.com. Will... Where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies, and you can find my articles and general film thoughts on the Next Best Picture website. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys as always. I am your host, Matt Neglia. You can find me at Next Best Picture on all of the relevant social media networks, and we will see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.